Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Overtime. Overtime is our weekly podcast that we do at the Christian Life Center, talking about the weekend messages that we just covered. Uh, we're currently in a series called Philippians. We're in week two of that series, so we just covered Philippians chapter two. Um, pretty excited to have you join us, whether you're watching us live via uh, YouTube or you're watching us live via Facebook, um, or you're just listening to this podcast either through our RSS feed or through the numerous different ways that you could watch us. Thanks for joining us. We're glad that you're here. We hope that you get a lot out of this. So yeah. what we usually do, oh, I should probably say my name. My name is Ben Dieterle. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And this beautiful man with me, go ahead and introduce <laughs> yourself. Hi, I'm Gary Arntasoni, also one of the pastors on staff. So great to have you here. Yeah, we're, we're so glad that you're joining us today. Hopefully, like I said, you get a lot out of this. Um, basically what we usually do is we try and give some highlights to say, Hey, here's what's happening within the life of the church. And then kind of jump into the week's content, what we were able to cover, maybe some questions some clarifying uh, factors in that, maybe even just a, a little bit of a deeper dive, things that were maybe left on the cutting room floor. Um, and, and so we're going to jump into that, but that beginning part where we normally give you an update right now, it's still, we're in the middle of this pandemic of COVID-19. We still don't really have any updates. Right now, it's as we're recording this, it's the beginning of May um, as we're doing this. It seems as if we're kind of coming out of the season of COVID where everything's closed. And now we're kind of in the next step of trying to figure out what it looks like to open and how slow that needs to go. So I just want to say that as we progress, we will be giving updates as best we can, when we can, as we figure that all out. Again, we've said this all along. This is unprecedented. We've never really seen this in the life of the church, really. I've never seen this in my entire life at all. Um, so we're trying to figure it out as we go, trying to listen to, you know, obviously our government and uh, those that God has put leadership above us, and then also experts in the field. That's probably smart to do. So we try and pay attention to what they're saying. And so we're trying to use our best judgment in that. So the best thing that I can tell you right now is to stay tuned for all of our updates as they come. As soon as we can do something, we'll let you know that because we are eager and anxious to get out of our homes, as I'm sure many of you, <laughs> many of you are. I am actually super excited to like just like interact with people because I'm scared my social skills have deteriorated and I don't know how to be social anymore. That's that's what I'm scared for. So um, so there's that. We will keep you updated as as best we can. Um, yeah, so you know, let's kind of jump in with a, I guess, a review, Gary. If you wouldn't mind, kind of sharing what we talked about in uh, Philippians chapter two, or in Philippians week two, chapter two. Absolutely. So actually, it's fun, uh, Ben, because it is sort of the social skills. Because Paul yeah. actually is um, is telling them, you know, that uh, instead of um, thinking about your own interests, look to the interests of others. He's he's actually sort of calling them to task about. Um, you know, Jesus as this big example who laid yeah. down his life in order to actually invite people into life and uh, and how we can do that as well. So there's a lot of infighting going on um, in the Philippian church, um, some things that Paul is trying to address with them. And so in this chapter two, what he does is he really pulls this old ancient hymn poem about Jesus out and says, he really serves as the example of how you should live together. And so he calls them to task on that. So, so anyway, that, that's sort of the background. Yeah. It's an ancient, ancient hymn, but it's got so much stuff to it. I mean, it's really, 
a pretty cool deal. So yeah, yeah. Um, I did just think of one thing that I should probably add, and I want to start to comment towards that. The other thing that I should quickly mention is that since we are coming to you live from our homes, um, the quality of the internet could be shaky. Like right. we were in a meeting this this morning, and um, it was a little bit shaky. I think I got kicked off of our, our media for actually doing this meeting for a second, and then I was back. So if we have technical difficulties, just bear with us. We'll be back. Um, you may uh, see, see us freeze as we're talking, and then we'll be back. But just hang with us. This is the world that we all live in right now, right? Like yeah. this is how we're doing meetings and this is how we're figuring things out. But so yeah, the Philippians two, there's so much going on in that entire book of Philippians. Um, really, this is not an exhaustive study of the book. Like I think if we were to really do an exhaustive study of the book of Philippians, it would take a whole lot more than just four weeks. Like oh, yeah. we could probably spend at least half a year, half a year on, on weekends preaching about Philippians and that's probably a modest estimate. There's so much going on that you could probably take Philippians verse by, by verse. And that's not what we're doing here. So, Gary, you right. specifically focused on like the first 11 verses of chapter two. And what I would really encourage you is through this series um, to, to try and find time to read all of Philippians. I think that there is there's a benefit of seeing the context in which it's written and being able to understand the full picture. Because in, in most of Paul's writings, he kind of builds on what he's talked about and it kind of brings it to a culmination. So I'd really encourage you to read the rest of the chapters, even if we don't get a, to, to preach on it on Sundays, man, I would love for you to just get an understanding and an insight on what's happening in Philippians. But uh, jumping into kind of some of the questions. Yeah, the I notes, agree. That's an idea. Yeah. So uh, some of the notes that I took down, you started with, um, Honestly, as I was watching, I think I was watching on the Sunday morning one, you started with this story about Mother Teresa, and I remember thinking, like, where, where's he going with this? And I thought you went to a great place, but basically you started talking about kind of the social work that Mother Teresa was doing in India, um, and you kind of ended with this question, and I think that this was a direct quote from Mother Teresa, that it was uh, doing, it was something along, I don't know if I got it word for word, but it was talking about doing small acts of, of great love. Like that was what she was called to do. Right. And that's what we are called to do. Did, oh, I don't know if I got that quote exactly right. Can you just kind of speak to that just to clarify at the very least of what I've been saying? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so the, um, there was this woman, uh, Mary Poplin, she actually, wrote a book that was called um, uh, Visiting Calcutta, and um, and she went out to, um, she had a sabbatical, so she went out and spent some time with Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. And uh, But the thing that happened, and this was, I think, the thing that was really um, pivotal for Mary was that um, Mother Teresa actually, whenever she looked at anybody, she saw Christ in them. And so she worked at ministering... Oh, okay. I'm not sure what quite happened there. Gary has disappeared, but maybe he's back now. If you're not watching this live, this could be really... Hey, Gary, you still with us? Yeah, I'm here. I'm okay. You. okay, so I think we're having some technical difficulties. I think you might have dropped out for a little bit. Um, I did. Yeah, yeah. well, I, at least I can hear you now, so... And I think yeah. I can see you. So I think. Oh, now I see you. Yeah. I think we're back. I don't know. Maybe that was my end, your end, or somewhere in the middle. I have no idea. Yeah. 
So oh, we're just, we're just going to keep going and see what happens. Yeah. So go for it, my friend. Okay. So, yeah. So basically, um, you know, there was this phrase that Mother Teresa used, and it was called um, small acts with great love. And, and that really um, epitomized and sort of um, summarized everything that she was trying to do. In fact, it was interesting because people often criticized her for not wanting to change the system. And she said, you know, let somebody else deal with the system. I've got a person here I need to be attentive to. And so in every person that she saw, she saw Jesus Christ in them. And that, yeah. uh, and Jesus had set this example of self-giving love. And so, um, so that's sort of, I felt like that set us up well to look at yeah, this I, Christ hymn, which is in Philippians 2. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's, Man, there's something beautiful in that, even in, in in Mother Teresa's response to that of just, I think, I guess what I think of is that's the body of Christ, right? Like, so, so God does call some to change the system and God calls some to just walk alongside people. And I that's think right. that, that it's easy for one side to criticize the other and for vice versa. But, but the reality is that God has created each of us with different gifts and abilities and different talents. And so I think that for Mother Teresa, I think that she was called to that that people group and to just serve and to be present with them. And and I do think that that was a great setup to what we're going to talk about because, uh, to be honest, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, 3 and 4, man, those are some of the most challenging verses I feel like that I have ever read. Something that I need to constantly remind myself of and something that I don't think I do a great job of. Um, I think just it goes against our very nature, our human nature, I should say, to do what Paul is challenging the church in Philippi and to us as believers as we read it today to do. So uh, I think that yeah. there's a lot going on here. So, um, but just to maybe recap where we're at. So Philippians is one of Paul's prison epistles, meaning that he was under house arrest when he wrote it. Um, and what we see, you, you said this on Sunday, I don't think you said it the previous week, but although he's in prison, in four chapters, the book of Philippians is only four chapters, and this is actually, that would have been a long letter back in that time, but he uses the word joy 20 times. Like yeah. that's, that's pretty significant. So this book is really themed around joy. And even to take that maybe a step further, it's joy in the least likely of situations because here's Paul in prison rejoicing and celebrating even that fact, like one opens and it kind of talks about how because of his chains that that the the Roman guards and that the people that are in the house that he's at is are coming to know Christ. So that there's a unique perspective there that Paul, I think, gets on a level that I, I would just use me as an example that I struggle with understanding. So, um, yeah. so he's in prison. Joy is a huge one. But then also we kind of change gears a little bit um not just about joy after the opening statements but what are we uh you talked about this this psalm but what is what would you say maybe the overall those first 11 verses what do you think that main main theme or that main main subject is that you would pull out from those first 11 verses yeah so i would say that um so it's an interesting passage so paul um, Paul prefaces it, and then there's a sense in which he actually inserts this Christ hymn, which is actually starts in about um, verse 5, puts it in there, 
It's interesting too because I was I was actually looking at this too. So another really well known Christ hymn is actually found in Colossians chapter one verse fifteen, and this okay. is another place where um, scholars would say, "Oh no, that was actually that probably pre-existed." But here Paul used this, and it's the one that says that you know talk about the supremacy of Christ that He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. In Him all things and in on in heaven and on earth were created. And so so there's an interesting sense in which there is some um, literature, um, Christian, you know, um, poems and hymns that are circulating at that point. And Paul oftentimes will take those and put them into what he's doing. And so, so in this letter, he's talking about, you know, having joy, like you said, 20 times. And that also includes peace and contentment and thanksgiving. But he's really saying to them that um, in a world where we're really out to sort of get our own way or do our own thing, that, um, that that's really not what it's about. It's really about learning to give ourselves up in the same way that Jesus did, that Jesus actually mm -hmm. emptied himself. And so there's an interesting thing, and this is where um, I'm grateful for um, having taken a lot of Greek in um, college and in seminary, but there's an interesting um, play that happens in this um, these conditional clauses that open up, and it's actually starting with verse one and sort of moves through all these different things. and um, And in the Greek, in a conditional clause, there's always the condition always points to the answer. Mm -hmm. So what's fun about this is that each of these opening sentences are pointing to a positive outcome. And yeah. that's that's seen in the way that the conditional clause is set up. And so, you know, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and the answer would be, absolutely there is. And is there any consolation from love? And his answer would be, yes. And, you know, any sharing in the spirit. And so I, I think that's really a fun deal to sort of see that. And, and Paul's readers, as they were reading that, they would have, you know, looked at the statement, but they would have known behind that, that, yes, this is a positive outcome. And so, so anyway, I think that's a fun thing to sort of look at. And so, but it also reminds me, you know, that, um, and this is a sort of a Ruth Haley Barden quote, actually, I didn't give her credit for it, but, you know, that she said before that, um, you know, the worst stories she's ever heard about people getting hurt all come out of church life. And mm -hmm. the best stories she's ever heard about people being in really, really good transforming community come out of church life. And I, I just think that, you know, one of the things about being the church together is we can, we got to be mindful of our relationships because we can really hurt each other or we yeah. can really build each other up. And so yeah. Paul's saying here, Hey, there's this encouragement, there's love, there's sharing in the Holy spirit, there's compassion. So, you know, use that to build each other up instead of tearing each other down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that was good. Like one of the first things that I think I heard you say, or at least that I wrote down in my notes was, was talking about the sacrificial love, right? Like this, obviously the connection to what Christ has done on the cross. And we get into that in the text and you said service and love should be the trademarks of the church really. And I, I thought that that was good as you're kind of opening up chapter two, you're kind of seeing again, and there's a building, even as verse one of chapter two starts, it says, therefore, so it's there because he's summarizing what he's been saying. So it, I thought it was really good to talk about yeah. those, those, and I really do like the the point, like uh, one starting with the clause. If there is, well, of course there is, because if you are in a relationship with Christ, yeah. you're experiencing Him, you're encountering Him, 
then all of these things should be there. There should be encouragement from being united with Christ. There should be comfort from his love. There should be common sharing in the spirit and tenderness and compassion. So it, it makes sense as they start that. And then it kind of brings us to, to verse two, which is kind of a, uh, kind of a, a review or kind of a touching back to what was said in chapter one, verse 27, where Paul kind of encourages the church in Philippi to, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that brings us to chapter two. And so if all of those things, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. And I think that yeah. as, as I read that, man, that sounds really good. Like it signed me up for that. I want to do that. Uh, like I'm invested in that, but I guess part of the question becomes, how do I actually do that? Because I don't think it's just a matter of will, right? Like it's not just a matter of I think I can yeah. do that, so therefore I do that. How do I actually be united and like-minded um, with one another? Like, how would you encourage somebody that's listening to do that? Well, I think you know. I think one of the things that's important is that um, Christ never says, stop thinking, stop figuring stuff out. Um, here, let me brainwash you. Yeah. I mean, there's none of that. In fact, actually, God actually wants to engage our full mind. And I think right. that's right. an important thing for us to think about. Like, so um, when Paul's saying, what he's saying here is, you know, I want you to be of the same mind. He's not saying that I want you to, um, you know, all think exactly the same. Because actually, if we have to agree on everything, then we're going to find that we're not in unity as much as we would be if we actually mm -hmm. allow for a kind of diversity. So, so one of the things that Paul's always doing is talking about there's a sameness. Like, for example, in Corinthians, he'll talk about it's the same Lord, the same Spirit, the same God. But then you'll say, but there's a diversity in terms of how you have been given gifts. So um, you're going to find that you have different gifts, but there's a sameness, which is a unity, and then a difference as well. And so I think that that's true here also. He's not saying, hey, don't think. He's actually saying, no, let, let Christ transform your mind. Let Christ show you how to think, because unity then comes out of the ability to actually be in community and actually ask some of those hard questions. Like say, yeah. like like even our talk today, Ben. Like what, you know, in staff, we're talking about what do we do? How do we do it? How do we figure it out? Well, yeah. all of that kind of thing actually shows the fact that Christ is giving us His mind, helping us to think about how we do things together yeah. in united ways. I mean, I think all of that's really important. So, so He's never saying. In fact, if He was to say, "Hey, you know, you need to drop your opinion and just." think alike, you know, like it's group think, you know, right, that's not right. what he's going for at all. So I think right. that's important for us to understand as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. That's really good. Um, and, and so he's so, going to encourage him. He's going to encourage, I'm sorry. He's going to encourage no, him to unity. Yeah. So he's going to encourage him to humility of spirit. Um, he's going to encourage him into being self-sacrificing because these are the things that Jesus modeled. And so they yeah. get to live into that as well. Yeah. One of the things that you had said, I was taking my notes. Um, I thought that this was really good. And I thought that, man, I would love to dive a little bit deeper into that. And you said actions are based on attitude. And I guess just 
maybe even for somebody that's listening to this that didn't necessarily listen to the message, or can we dive a little bit deeper? What do you mean by that? Actions are based on attitude. What, like in a Christian context, like can we take that outside of the church? Like, did you mean that specifically for what you were talking about in that, or just in a general sense? Because I thought that that was a pretty pretty good statement that I, I wondered if there was more to talk about in that. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it does make sense, right? So, you know, if I, if I have a negative attitude, you know, then my actions actually reflect that. If I, yeah. if I have an attitude where I say, Hey, I'm trusting God in this. I know God's at work in this. My attitude will reflect that also. So yeah. I think that, you know, part of what Paul's trying to impress on them is, don't just look to your own interests, but actually look to the interests of others. Have have this attitude, which was in Christ, who even though he was in the form of God, did not equal, equate equality equality with God. It's something to grab hold of and try to control. Like, and and I that'll bring us later to a, an important question because I think, um, you know, it says that he emptied himself, and I one of the things yeah. I think that we have to figure out is, well, what did he empty himself of? And I've got a couple of thoughts on that. But, um, but I think again, that, you know, if I, it's a little bit like um, thinking about, you know, in this time of pandemic, right, we have a choice in front of us. We can either think about all the things we hate about this time, or we can think about what are the things I'm actually thoughtful or, or grateful about in this time. And, um, and if we can do that, it starts to change our attitude. So I think that that's a big part. Um, in the Philippian church, well, think about any church, right? If they're having any kind of um, uh, controversy or any kind of difficulty, you know, then what happens is, um, you know, people don't want to be there, right? I mean, like, you know, when, when things are really painful, nobody wants to be a part of that. Like, the worst thing is being around a church that feels like it's being torn or ripped open and... Um, but at the same time, when there's a sense of unity and joy, then, boy, you know, you want to be there as well. So, you know, they've got, they've got some pretty big choices to make. And if they're yeah. going to keep going down the, the path of disunity, they're going to they're gonna feel that. And it's going to really take its toll on their fellowship together. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So that, that uh, I even wrote that, harmony and unity are, are kind of the two things you there. So that brings us to three and four which are really hard. And then that sets up obviously five and six and this, this song, what you're talking about. So uh, I just wanted to read that again for those that maybe didn't hear it the first time, but it's uh, verse three says, do nothing. And these are what are so challenging to me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I'm reading from the NIV. It says, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Like that one just kind of cuts yeah. to the, to the core. It says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And man, that, Gary, yeah, I just, to ask a very just pointed question, how do you do that? How do we actually begin to live that out? Because these verses seem so, I guess, like, they, they seem so almost irrational. Like, I don't know how to go about that. I don't know how to yeah. practically do that. Like, how do we begin to do that? Because while there is an element of this, obviously as we empty ourselves and we're filled more with Christ, these actions hopefully become a little bit easier because we're not living into our, our human nature, but into the, the spiritual nature. But there's also a responsibility that we have as believers of 
of choosing that. So how would you tell somebody that they would should begin? To, how do you begin to do what verses three and four are talking about? Yeah, so I mean, I guess if you sort of look at it, um, I mean, think about it. So, you know, what happens when I'm being selfish, um, when I'm being conceited? Well, you know, what happens is I make it all about me, right? I, yeah. I, I think, hey, you know, unless I'm getting what I want, unless I'm getting my way, unless I'm feeling like I'm being lifted up and people are like really happy with me, then, then I'm not happy, right? Yeah, And so I think in a really interesting way, Paul's just challenging that. And I, I think that's part of what's happening in the European church is they're, um, you know, they're starting to become even more divided. And so um, there's a kind of selfish ambition that's rising up, in a, which is based on a kind of conceit. And, um, but Paul, again, sort of calls them to it and says, you know, instead, um, in humility, regard others as better than yourself. So he, he says, hey, don't do that. And, and then the application of that is, um, don't look at your own, just your own interests, but look to the interests of others. So, so again, life in community demands that we do more than simply think about what we want and what we want to get. It, right. it is actually a life of being with others and of giving of ourselves to them as well. And so he just sort of calls them back to that. And I think, you know, one of the phrases I used, which I like, is that, you know, unity, unity is impossible if each of us are just simply living for ourselves. And so, um, you know, that's a good thing for us. You know, how do we how do we stop being self-centered? And and here's the deal, like, um, because he's going to apply this all to Jesus, right? I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, so if there was if there was ever anybody who was yeah. not self-centered, anybody who um, didn't somehow lift himself up. And and what's interesting about the Christ hymn here is that. Um, Jesus doesn't lift himself up, but in the end, he ends up being exalted. He ends up because God actually lifts him up. And so, yeah, right. so again, you know, this sort of self-emptying, I think, is important for us. So in the same way that Christ emptied himself, um, we're also, you know, encouraged to empty ourselves as well. Yeah, I think that's so good. And part of the reason why I wanted to ask that question is because it seems as if in today's world and society we live in, it just seems like there's an increasing level of self-interest and self-preservation and thinking more about self rather than others. And, yeah. and I think that that's, I really do think that that's what can set us as believers apart is that we're not just thinking of our own self as I believe you said uh, over the weekend is that it's a proper evaluation of oneself and it's not, I think I heard this before too, and it's one of those catchy phrases, um, as long as I word it right. It's not thinking less of oneself, uh, as I'm getting a phone call, so hang on one second there, guys. Sorry. Um, I have a house phone that I think rings like twice. It's only ever rung twice. I, I'm not really sure. So, <laughs> of course. <laughs> And just hung up on that person, I think. Oops. <laughs> anyway, so there's that. You got it uh, live, everybody. You got it live. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. Now, I, I think I turned it down. I don't know what I did. I forget even what I was saying. Oh, what I was saying is that uh, verses 3 and 4, I think I've heard it as long as I say the phrase right. It's not, these verses aren't saying to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. Like yeah, it, that's it's right. Not, that's good. It's, 
it's not about just kind of going, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I'm not important, and yeah. I'm an idiot, yeah. moron, and nobody, like, it, it's not that, you, like, you don't devalue yourself. Right, right. But you just, you're not so concerned about your rights and your concerns, and you, as an individual, not being taken advantage of. And, and, and I think that that's what we're talking about, and we see that through Christ. Um, yeah. So, you know, to go on with that a little bit, so it's interesting that um, I actually think there's a biblical um, definition of humility that comes out of Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Hmm. Paul talked about um, having the mind of Christ, you know, all these different things in Romans 1, or Romans, uh, yeah, in that first couple of verses. And then when we get to verse 3, he says, um, he says um, have, a, have a sober judgment of yourself. And I think that's what you're talking about, Ben, because I think what happens is we think, well, you know, if I don't, I'm not going to think very highly of myself. So I'm going to basically sort of put myself down or I'm going to decide that I don't have, you know, what I need and that kind of thing. Or I'm going to somehow um, if I if I'm building myself up, I'm, um, I'm making myself more prideful than I am. And that's not what he's saying. He's actually saying have a sober judgment and. And in that sober judgment, then part of what he's doing is he's starting to say, um, you know, be honest about what your strengths and your weaknesses are. Because when you're honest about those things, it actually helps you to live into unity better. And so, um, you know, it's not um, ability and not pulling ourselves up bigger than we should be, but it's also not tearing ourselves down lower than we should be. It's, it's having a kind of sober judgment. Right, right. That's good. Um, so again, and I apologize guys, you might've heard my, my answering machine. So apparently I muted my phone, but I did not answer, uh, do my... <laughs> it's crazy guys. I just want to go back to normal living and normal, like nine to five job. That would be great. But okay. Um, actually what I really want to go back to is a studio. We're all, anyway, uh, I'm going to yeah. stop complaining yeah. and stop <laughs> uh, so yeah so kind of the main segue the main text this this christian hymn that you referred to is verses five through through eight right and, and continuing on with this passage it says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as christ jesus who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so I feel yeah. like since this is the main text, um, th there's a lot going on here. And I guess before I ask any questions and kind of we try and dive into it as uh, ultimately what we see is Christ being the ultimate example. Like, it, was there anything in that that you wanted to expound on or... Uh, I don't know, but you didn't get the opportunity to talk about it. So you're breaking up. I'm not hearing you very well. Oh, I'm sorry. So, uh, so just that's okay. Just you were breaking any, up. I didn't hear you very well. Any comments that you wanted to make before I have any questions, like from five through eight, anything specific yeah. that you wanted to draw out? Well, let me just say, too, that actually the hymn goes um, from verse. And now I think Gary might be breaking up. Uh, well, <laughs> what a great podcast. If you're still listening, thanks for joining us. We're having tons of issues. I think Gary just disappeared. Hey, Gary, you still with us? 
I'm back again. Yeah, this is, hey, this man. Is sort of, wow. Okay. I don't know if you heard it or if our viewers heard it or what, but I just said, man, what a podcast. We've got it all going on today. So, enjoy. <laughs> yeah. So, we so, lost uh, you there for a few minutes. Gosh. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Well, anyway. Okay. So, um, yeah, so the actual hymn itself is verses 5 through 11. The, mm. the first part of it, which is 5 through 8, actually does talk about sort of Christ's, um, his descent in a sense, like that he actually emptied himself, um, you know, took on form of a human, a slave, all that kind of thing. And then it slipped, uh, then it flips in verse 9 and starts to talk about how God then began to lift him up. So mm. you have this sort of descent theme. Um, Jesus becoming human, slave, but then you have the ascent okay. theme of God lifting him up as well. Okay, that's good. So anyway, I am, um, yeah, I and I, you know, in the background of this, and I don't know how much to make of this, but I thought it was a very interesting point, was that um, the, the commentators often played with the idea that maybe um, Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet was sort of a, a background scene to what Paul's talking about that um, that part of what he saw was that Jesus and there's there's a point in which um in John chapter 13 uh, it talks about that Jesus knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going which has this yeah. idea that he understands who he is and That's so right. then it says that he got up from the table and he laid aside his outer garments and so it's an interesting thing because Paul would hit on that then in verse 6 and say Jesus emptied himself. And so, so you have this interesting interplay back and forth between John chapter 13. And then Jesus um, goes to the very end of that and says, if any of you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you need to serve each other. And, um, and then it hits on to the end of the hymn where um, it says that God highly exalted Jesus. And so, so anyway, it's a very, it's an interesting sort of maybe backstory. Um, Commentators wonder if if Paul was influenced by John. Maybe John was influenced by Paul. Okay. You know, what was the dialogue going on there? So I think that's that's an interesting sort of back um, piece in this as well that could be going yeah. on. And having just preached, I don't know, a month ago or five weeks ago, something on John chapter 13, like it's, you're right, there's an amazing similarity there that it's, they're using the same vernacular. And I think that it's, uh, it's just Paul ultimately is using what we see is Christ is the ultimate example of going, hey, Christ did this. It's not a question if he did. It, you know, he did, and this is how. And we see that modeled to his disciples, and he's talking about it. And so, um, so there is this contrast and comparing of John 13 and Philippians 2, uh, really 3 through 8, and how we should live in unity with one another. And I just think, man, I just... I just, as simple as this message is, I just feel like this is the challenge, right? It's always to to live in service to one another, to live in service to uh, what God would have for us, and to really not think too highly of ourselves, because it's easy to have an inflated, you know, ego of oneself. It's easy to kind of think too much of us, but that's really not what we're called to do. And, and it's as simple as that message is, man, it's a challenge to live out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so uh, I've, I feel like I don't have a, a ton more. I mean, I've got a, a bunch of different notes, but I, no more. I don't think there's very many specific questions, but just Jesus gave 
gave away of himself for others, for the sake of others. Um, and even the point that Jesus became a slave in serving people, Jesus was serving God. I thought that that was a great point to make is that Christ's entire mission was for others, right? Like he desired to bring us right. into a relationship with him. He desired to bring us close and, and to love on us, but it wasn't just for our sake, kind of like he wants to have us in that relationship and save us from our sin, but he also wants others to come to know him. He's a God that wants all men to come to know him. And I think that that's important for us to remember as we're living out our day-to-day lives is that it, it's not just about me, right? Like if it was, the argument is that once we became saved, that instantly we would just kind of like be sucked up into heaven. Like that's it. But it's not just about yeah. us. It's about being there and being love and, and serving others. And that's the mission that Christ has called the disciples to. And if we are disciples, then that's what he's called us to. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, well, maybe, maybe one thing to say um, is that I do think, um, so the incarnation, which actually it's interesting because, you know, um, it has the idea of um, having meat on, like I, you know, the Christ, in fact, I heard one guy say one time, it was, uh, Jesus was God in a bod, you know, that was a, a long time ago, but, but it's God in a body, right? And yeah. so that's pretty hard to get our heads around. Um, yeah. But what's interesting about that, too, that's important is that, so a um, an orthodox view, and when I use the word orthodox, what I mean is that sort of the, um, down through the ages, the... Um, the correct view of Jesus being God in the flesh is that he is seen as fully God and fully human. Now, Mm. the reason I thought this was important to bring up is because if you actually look at the history of Christianity and you look at what we would sometimes today call um, cults, and I know that's not a really, um, you know, that's not a popular word necessarily, and people say, well, how come? That one's not right, and this one is. Right, but right. but what, what, you, what you see in all these different variations of Christianity is that some groups make more out of Christ being God and less out of Christ being fully human, and others make more out of, God, of Christ being fully human and not as much out of Christ being fully God. So, mm-hmm. so that's where the, um, the, quote, correct theological stance is to see him as fully God and fully human. Yeah. And so, um, so for example, you know, some of the groups I've been uh, familiar with, like, um, you know, which again, we would tend to say they're not mainstream Christian groups, but, you know, they will emphasize the humanity of Christ over the deity of Christ. And, right. and so they'll make a big deal about Jesus being more of a man and, or, or they'll go the opposite way and they'll make a lot more out of Jesus being deity and a lot less out of him being a human being. And so, so I think, again, those are the kinds of things we need to yeah. be aware of because um, that just it just leads us into a place where um, we get stuck. And now let me say, too, that <laughs> this isn't an easy conversation right, either, though, right. because, you know, like, what does it mean <laughs> to be holy God that? and right. holy human? Right. You know, it's like and, – and also in that, what does it mean when it says that he emptied himself? Like, mm. You know, lots of commentators will say, oh, here's what he didn't do. Here's what he did. You know, he emptied himself of this. He – he emptied himself of his omnipresence, his omniscience, okay. you know, the ability to um, to know everything. I mean, but yet, what's weird about that, Ben, is like there's still times when Jesus is talking to people 
And the Bible says, and he knew their hearts. So, you know, like, I I think sometimes when we start to actually say, oh, well, he didn't do this anymore. He didn't do that. It's like, yeah, you actually need to study the scripture a lot more and sort of see what are the things that he is doing. I mean, he's still doing miracles, right? You know, which I mean, you know, there's a lot going on there. So I think sometimes, you know, here's, here's the problem. The, we have these little God boxes, right? Like right. I want to put God in that box. Right. And, you know, and in fact, I had a professor one time um, who said, uh, you know, I'd really like to put God in a box because then I could sort of study God and, yeah. you know, all this stuff. And But the reality is if we could put God in a box, guess what? It wouldn't be God, yeah, right? right. And, and it wouldn't be much of a God. Right. And so, you know, the fact that God always is always breaking open our God box is, I think is so important. So, so this is one of those passages that you just sort of go, ah, I'm getting a headache by thinking about this, right? Like yeah. it's blowing my mind. Uh, but at the same time, it's a reminder that, that God doesn't necessarily fit, you know, into those places where we want God to fit. And that's okay too. That's okay. I think that's good because so, you're anyway. absolutely right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I feel like that's absolutely right. That it's uh, it's so hard to understand. Like even me, I don't feel like I uh, I don't think I fall into either one of those categories because I believe that God was 100 percent man and 100 percent God. But then sometimes as I'm reading scripture, I go, Yeah, but he was God, so he could do that. And then other times, like Yeah, but he was fully man. And so it's easy to kind of find myself on maybe a tightrope, maybe that's not the right word, but like, I feel like I'm going, oh, oh, well, like I find myself leaning one direction or another and have to remind myself, yes, he was God, but he was fully man. So that, that means in that moment that he felt probably every emotion that I, I would have felt, right? Like in, as he's being betrayed, as yeah, he's that's right. That's sitting at this last supper with Judas, man, the heartache that that would bring. And, and then on the other side, and even like when Jesus was asleep on, you know, the Sea of Galilee, like, he was tired. Like, Jesus got tired. He got hungry and he got sore feet. Like all of these things happened. And, and I can kind of go, oh, yeah, but he was God. So he, that pain didn't really hurt. No, it was there because he was 100% man. And then I think I fall yeah. probably more on that side than I do the other. But it's just reminding myself that it's in the middle. Um, so then That's kind right. of that, that culmination of, of that hymn, as you said, so from 9 to it says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other, every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And um, so you talked about the exaltation of Jesus, and because he humbled himself uh, and he submitted himself, he was, he was, um, humble to what God called him to, God ultimately exalts him. And so I feel like the natural question then becomes, so does that mean as a believer, if I humble myself, does that mean that God will exalt me? And then is it a wrong motive to want to be exalted? Like, uh, so I guess that, that second question is, depends on the answer to the first part of that question. Like, Hey, what should my motive be in, in serving others should it be to be ultimately exalted or should it be because this is what god has called me to yeah so i mean that's a good question i i think that you know the problem with um coming to god in a way other than through humility is that uh we're we're not approaching god in the correct way unless we come humbly so you know the the beginning of the spiritual life actually does happen with us you know, being able to admit our own sin, being able to admit that, 
we don't do everything right. Um, I mean, it, it is it is a humble approach to God to say, hey, God, I believe that you are greater than I am. Like, I, you know, I'm not the God of my universe, but you are the God of the universe. And so I'm going to humbly seek you out and the things that you want and so i think you know how would you how would you um classify people that you feel god's exalted i you know i think that what we do see is we do see a lot of really good examples of people that were able to by simply serving and loving god still there gary oh man i think we might have lost him again friends i'm not sure if you even hear me at this point but uh Maybe Gary's coming back now. Yeah, hey, I think Gary's back. I am back, yeah, brother. All right, well, this has been a really fun time. This has been a good one. We should probably wrap it up here shortly, but uh, I think we've got another five minutes. I think we should, too, yeah. <laughs> so if you were yeah, watching and we you stuck with us, crazy. thank you. Thank you for watching if you're still there with us, but... Uh, you have yeah. just the world and the time and day and age and technology that we're living with. So it is what it is. So <laughs> anyway, I don't, I don't uh, even remember where we were in the thought. I, I feel like the last thing that I would say, and as we're kind of wrapping it up here, um, uh, you asked a good question at the end of the message. So what do we do with this? And, and you said three things that I wrote down that Christian community and service means giving up our right. And I think that's so good because what are we privileged to or what are we entitled to that Jesus ultimately did that in John 13. You see his example. He laid down his title. He laid down his privilege, his rights, his entitled, like what he was entitled to for the sake of others. And then the surest way to life is to give up yours. And love requires us to stop and, and see people in front of us. And Gary, your video went out, so I'm not sure if that means you're still there or not. But uh if you can hear me, I would just say, yes. Okay. So just any final thoughts. And then I think we're going to end this and, and chalk it up yeah. to a bad day. We, of we, we don't need to. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think uh, so it's just, we're always challenged to be the church together. You know, yeah. it's um, God is in the midst of that. Um, and it does mean, it does mean emptying. It means being yeah. able to, say, hey, I don't always need to get my way. I want to be part of this community, understand God's love. So that's all yeah. I'd say, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we will kind of abruptly end, I guess, with that. So just, again, want to say thank yeah, you guys to yeah. all of you that hung in there. If you're watching this and you didn't see any technical issues, there was none. No, that's not true. You've heard everything and probably seen it if you're watching it online. I just want to remind everybody, if you have any questions for us, I'll just say questions in the church. For the church, any concerns that you have during COVID-19, please email us at info at clcfamily.church, or you can just call the office 610-869-2140. Please let us know if there's anything that you need there. I'll also say that if you're interested in asking any questions, like it can be related to the weekend message, it can be related to maybe something that you're wrestling with personally, or just something, maybe a group of uh, friends you're kind of discussing and, and you're thinking about, um, feel free to let us know. You can email your questions at overtime or to overtime at clcfamily.church. We'd love to have interaction. I feel like once we've stopped meeting weekly, the kind of the engagement with the questions has really slowed down because I think so many people are just 
doing exactly yeah. what we're doing. They're trying to figure out schooling at home. They're trying to figure out working at home. They're trying to figure out living at home and trying to figure out how to not kill children while you're all at home. So I get it. There's a lot going on, but we'd love to see any questions that you might have. Uh, so just an invitation to do that. So yeah. Gary, yeah. appreciate your time. Thank you, man. Sure. Appreciate all of you guys listening. Have a great week. We will be back yeah. next week. Maybe we'll be better. Maybe we'll have the same problems. But either way, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Adios. <Love you> guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>